24 uh, to, to honor those of our church family who are uh, our veterans, have been veterans currently serving. And so um, whether you're part of our church family or not, if you have served in the military or currently serving, if you go ahead and just stand, we won't make it come forward or anything, nothing crazy like that. But uh, we saw Don in the video, so that was kind of exciting, right? So, so look around, see who's, see who's standing. We have a, a little gift here for you, just a small expression of our appreciation. And I'd like you to stand, uh, stay, remain standing. Um, Hagen's got a long stride, he'll get to you. Um, but I'd like to just have you guys stand, and I'd like to just pray for you if I can, and I thank the Lord for you as well and uh, for his blessing on your life from this point forward. Lord, we want to thank you for today. And it's an opportunity that we have in our country to, to honor those who have fought for us and served us and ensured the freedom that we have here uh, in our country. We thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for them setting aside uh, any fear or things that might have kept them from uh, serving and, and doing that on our behalf. Lord, thank you. Bless them. I ask that you would, as they continue to be on this earth, that they would continue to um, serve, that they would continue to look to bring good into people's lives, and, and Lord, that they would make an impact for you uh, in their family and in their community. Thank you for having them here today so we can honor them, and I pray that this rest of the service will be a blessing to them as, as well. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you guys, appreciate it. You can go ahead and have a seat. Appreciate you guys uh, taking, having the courage, like any military person, to stand up in front of people. So um, it's, it's kind of scary. Uh, we've been talking about in God we trust, and this morning I'm really uh, feeling that. Uh, my back went out last night, uh, and I was flat on my back, and I actually did some work around the house. And uh, boy, did that mess me up. I got to quit doing that. Um, so yeah, my back went out, and, um, which happens from time to time. And so this morning I got up and I was walking kind of slowly. So I'm really taking it slowly this morning. But if I drop to my knees, just assume it's part of the message. I'll be fine. I'll get through it. Um, somebody offered me some, uh, some painkillers. And I said, no, no, no. My job is to put you guys to sleep. I'm not going to be falling asleep while I'm talking. So anyways, we've been talking about this in God we trust. And we've been kind of looking at it in a sense of a national political mindset as we had the elections uh, coming up. But today what we want to do is we want to bring it down to a more personal level. In God we trust for our personal lives. Because the reality is we all have things that we fear. We all have struggles in our lives, things that we can't fix, things that we can't heal in our lives. And we're going to learn this morning that there is a way through this with God's help but we, we all have issues. I mean, for some of us, right now, it's the undecided election, right? I mean, we want to act like we can rise above all that, but man, it's on our minds, and what's going to happen, and who's going to get in, and we, you know, whether we like one guy or the other, it's just you know, that. Or maybe it's uh, marriage issues, or family issues, or work and finances, health. It's a COVID thing that continues to hang over our heads Maybe it's just general um, depression and, and anxiety that we deal with 
on a regular basis. And some people with that one, just if I might add, is some people say, well, that's, one, that's an easy one because all you do is just take some meds and you should be feeling better. The problem is with meds, um, they, they don't heal. They, we want to see how do we work through these things with God's help and, and, and see healing in our lives, including in the area of depression and anxiety, which there can be healing there. But meds, all that does is just kind of masks the problem. That just kind of pushes the symptoms down. And sadly, a lot of times you have to increase the meds or the meds don't work. You have to switch it up and do something else because it's at what's, what's the core? What's, at the, what's the issue that, is, that needs to be dealt with? And, and whether it's national stuff, whether it's family stuff, whether it's health stuff, or whether it's mental challenges like anxiety and depression, healing only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then doing life the way he designed it to be done. Because there's a way to do life that he designed into it, that when we do it his way, we see him work through us, and like we've been talking about, he does great things through us. And if you're here this morning, you're like, eh, I don't have any issues, I don't have any problems, everything's under control, um, I just want to you know, just have a kind of a pull you aside if I might and just say, you're either lying to yourself or are you lying to us? Because how many of you saw the COVID thing coming? Yeah, no, oh, put your hand down. Stan's like, yeah, I was uh, checking my, my crystal ball, and I, oh boy, there's going to be a COVID thing happening. Anyways, we know better how to pray for Becky, don't we? <laughs> Anyways, um, no, I mean, we didn't see that coming. We, and we can't control it right? Or a lot of people, they'll be going through life, you know, working, going to the job every day, and next thing you know it, boom, their job is gone. How many of us um, have gone through maybe some marriage issues and we can't fix it? We can't heal the family issue that's going on in our families. We can't heal the loved one who needs to be healed or the relationship restored. We don't control anything in this world. Life just happens. And so for us to think, yeah, we got this figured out, it's pretty dangerous for us to think that way. And again, there is the possibility for victory. There's a possibility for healing. There is a possibility for God to do great things in and through us in first having a relationship with him and then doing life his way. We have to trust God to fight the battles that we have. So go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament. It's page 257. If you're using the Bible there in the chairs, we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament and uh, look at a guy who was certainly not in control of what was going on in his life or in the nation of Israel at the time and uh, certainly would not be able to accomplish what it is that God has called him to accomplish. Let me just give you the backstory to this. Uh, way back in Deuteronomy, so before Israel ever entered the promised land, they were released from slavery in Egypt by uh, God working through Moses, doing great things through Moses, if I can continue using that phrase. And God frees them, and he says, I'm going to take you into a land, and it's going to be your land. And um, so they're right on the outskirts of this, and he gives them two promises. Now, Israel as a nation and God have a personal relationship. And you can read about that um, 
in the Old Testament and Exodus specifically. So he says, hey, you want me to be your God? It's like, yes, we want you to be our God. Okay, I'm your God, and here's what's going to happen. Do life my way, and you're going to see how I can bless you. So the, the promise of blessing is that if they continue to do life God's way, because again, God is the one who created this world, and he knows how best life is to be lived. And so he says, you do life my way, and I'm, I'll, be, I'll be able to fight for you and provide for you and um, you know, protect you so that other nations around you can see the kind of God that I am and draw those nations to me. Because eventually what was going to happen, we know that God the Son was going to put on flesh Jesus Christ and bring all people to God, make a possible for all people to come to God. But there's also a promise of discipline. Now, any good father knows that if his kid is going to go off and do something to hurt themselves, he's going to try to keep that from happening or, in some cases, let it happen so that the kid comes running back saying, oh man, I really messed up. So what he says is I'm going to, there's going to be a problem with discipline. If you guys choose to start doing life another way, your way or the way of the gods of that region that you're going into, if you start doing life their way, you stop doing life my way and do life their way, then like any good father, I'm going to discipline you. And the way I'm going to discipline you is I'm going to bring the nations that are around you and have them mess with you, attack you, so that it'll get your attention and you'll return to me and come back to me. So that, that was his blessing or his promise of discipline. So by Judges 6, Israel's been in the promised land now for over 200 years, and they've really been leaderless. And so what was happening is they started getting away from doing life God's way. So this relationship they had with God, they're like rejecting God, doing life their own way, doing life the way the world did it back then with these other gods. And so God then... um, works with these other nations. And, and if you read about the Old Testament, especially Judges, you'll hear a phrase, sin cycle. It's not a form of a motorcycle. Um, what was happening is Israel was in a sin cycle. It lasted for about 400 years. And what was happening is they would turn away from God, reject God. God would then discipline them with the nations around them. They would cry out to God. He would restore them using some, usually some guy to come in there and take the lead, and it could be for the nation of Israel, it could be a region in Israel, whatever the case, like in Gideon's situation, is more of a region within Israel. And then he would provide peace for a period of time, and then Israel would return going back to doing life their way, um, rejecting God. This happened, like I said, for like almost 400 years was going on. So Israel's in the sin cycle, part of it, God's bringing the Midianites and Amalekites and some other nations in. And so for seven years now, every time Israel harvests their product, their wheat and and all that kind of stuff, every time they do that, the Midianites, Amalekites, these other nations, they would come in and they would steal and destroy the produce as well as their animals for seven years. So we're going to pick it up here in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And it says this. Now, if this is your first time with us, by the way, welcome. Glad to have you here. Um, But sometimes I throw in some things in yellow and I kind of expand a little bit on the passage so we can kind of get an idea of what's going on. That's what's going to happen this morning as well. So then the sons of Israel 
did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In other words, they decided to go off doing their own thing. Now, the translation we use in the New American Standard Bible, it'll have Lord in capital when it's talking about this personal name that God gave to Israel saying, I'm your personal God, you can call me this, it's Jehovah. It's not just God, it's Jehovah. He's our, a personal God, personal relationship. And so every time you see Lord, it's talking about that. And the Lord gave them into the hands of, the, of, the, of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. In other words, they were hiding. Every time harvest came, they, they went in, into hiding. For it was when Israel had sown harvest that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable. We get it? There's a large number of people. And they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low, low morale, discouraged because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Remember in Deuteronomy, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them, moved them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah. Now, uh, angel of the Lord, just for clarification here, um, the angel of the Lord, we believe, was actually God the Son and this is, this is how you can impress your friends and family, um, pre-incarnate appearance of God the Son. Now, what does it mean by pre-incarnate? Well, pre-incarnate is um, pre-flesh. So we, we understand there's one God with three persons. We understand the Bible teaches that, shows that. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son was the one who came and put on flesh, and we know him in the flesh as Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, there was, uh, there was somebody who would show up from time to time. Abraham talked with him. Jacob talked with him. Gideon, his opportunity to talk to him. They show up in physical form. And the Old Testament writers didn't have the full understanding of the Trinity. And so they just called this the angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord. Now, how do we believe it's, or why do we believe it's God the Son? Mainly because of this. Whenever this person shows up, the people who are talking, the humans who are talking to him, worship him. They, they'll do something. Gideon does it. He brings food and it's an offering as, as worship. An angel, an everyday angel, even an archangel, would not receive worship. Worship is only for God. And you'll even see it in Scripture. They, they, don't, they don't take worship. Only God receives worship. Well, this angel, this messenger, would receive uh, worship. He would also do the work of God, do things, miracles like God would do. And then the other thing is that there's an understanding that if you saw God, you would die. And the people in the New Testament saw God, Jesus, and they didn't die. And the Old Testament people who interacted with this individual didn't die, including Gideon. Um, and so we understand that it's God the Son, um, pre-incarnate or uh, 
pre-coming to earth appears, if you want to call it that. All right, you're already asleep. Wake it back up. Come on. He says this. Uh, so it's in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, you remember back in the day when we used to do the wheat thing, right? You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Dave and I were just doing it the other day. Um, you know, they would, they would get the wheat, they'd throw it up, and the, ch- the chaff would be blown away by the wind, and the wheat would fall back down. Well, he's in a wine press. So he's throwing it up. It's not catching any wind. Why? Because he's scared. He doesn't want the Midianites to, to find him, right? So he's in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if I want to follow this guy in battle, right? He's in a wine press. He's hiding. And the angel of the Lord says, hey, you're a, you're a mighty warrior. I would call him chicken. But anyways, then Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles that our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from, from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I just put a little note up here for me to remind myself. What's wrong with Gideon's accusation? Because sadly, we do this too. Are you catching the irony here? Israel has rejected doing life God's way. They've chosen to worship another God, to do life that God's way. So then God's like, well, if you don't want to do it my way, then you're going to experience the consequences of doing life your way. And then Gideon's like, hey, hey, where are you? Why aren't you helping us? We do this all the time. We start making decisions thinking, yeah, no, this sounds good. This sounds like the best way to respond to my wife and my husband or to a family member or at work or the decision I got to make. Yeah, this sounds good. I'm going to make this decision. And we find ourselves in a mess. And we're like, I can't believe it. God's not helping me. Listen, God will never help us Walk away from him. It makes perfect sense when you think about it, right? If my kids don't want to obey me, I'm not going to, if my kids are, you know, I give them money and then they go take the money and go, you know, buy something I told them not to buy and I find that out, I'm not going to continue giving them money because I don't want them to go buy whatever it is that they're buying that they shouldn't be buying, right? So God's not going to continue giving us whatever it is we need to exist if we're going to use it to reject him. And so that's what was happening here. And so his question is, is pretty silly, but he, he, he asked it, you know. And the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, I shall, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. The Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one. You ever been or, uh, in, in Gideon's shoes or thinking the way Gideon is thinking? How in the world am I going to beat this thing that's in front of me? How am I, I going to overcome this issue that I'm dealing with? I'm going to have a victory in this thing. I mean, look at who I am. Look, look how I was raised. Look, look at my abilities, my skill set. I've made some really dumb decisions in my past. How am I going to do that? And we begin to look at ourselves. Gideon's looking at himself and saying, I, I can't do it. Yeah. And neither can we. That's the whole point. Now, a, a little um, 
a little spoiler alert. God wants Gideon to defeat an army of 135,000 trained soldiers with 300 farmers. Which side do you want to be on? <laughs> I'm going with the trained soldiers, right? So the rest of the story, let me kind of rap, rapidly go through what happened here, and then we'll talk about some takeaways. Um, I know I read the Bible really well, and you want me to continue reading, but I'm not going to. Um, so in 19-24, God confirms his choice of Gideon, because this is one of the things we're going to see throughout this. Like Gideon keeps thinking about himself, and God keeps on having to reassure him, which makes me feel good, because God has to do that with me a lot. So God confirms his choice of Gideon. Gideon brings him an offering. Again, he's worshiping this angel of the Lord, so we believe it's God. And he brings him an offering, and God... Um, strikes it and burns it up. And he says, basically, I approve of you, Gideon. Be at peace. Don't worry. You're not going to die. I've got your back. We're, we're going to move forward here. 25 to 32, God then says to Gideon, I want you to destroy the altar of Baal. Now, his dad had it at his house or in his, on his property. And we, so we think that Gideon's dad was probably the priest or something for that region, was leading the worship of Baal. Now, why is this significant? It's significant mainly for this reason, and that is they were choosing to do life the way that God said to do life. Now, there's only one God. All other gods are false. And so when man comes up with a religion, what he's doing is he says, I want to do life a certain way, and so I don't like the way God says to do life. I'm going to do it my way, so then I'm going to develop a religion so I feel better about it. And in Gideon's day, everybody lived by a religion. Today, we have some people who live by religion. Some people say, I'm an atheist. Well, then you're making yourself God. You know, so you're living life the way you think you should live, so you become your own God. Whatever the case. So what God's saying to, to Gideon is, it, the first thing you need to do, if you're going to do life my way, you need to reject the old way. You need to say, enough, done, and I want you to destroy it. Which, by the way, uh, if you read the story, I hope you will when you get home, if you haven't already, that didn't sit well with the people, they wanted to kill him for doing it. And his dad said, well, you know, if Baal is God, then let Baal deal with him, you know, leave him alone. But the people were not happy at all with what Gideon has done. So he had to destroy the old way. So he reject the old way. I'm not going to do the old way. Moving on, in 33 through 40, Midian prepares to attack. So uh, it's harvest time again. And Midian has shown up to, uh, to attack and to get the produce, to destroy the produce. Gideon, once again, looks at himself and is like, eh, I'm not really sure if this is really what God wants me to do. I know what he said, what he want me to do, but I'm not really sure now that it's happening that <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. So he, do, he does what a lot of us do, and that is, hey, give me a tangible um, expression of your approval. You know, rather than stepping out in faith, I want something to hang on to. And so he does the fleece thing. You guys, if you've grown up in church and you had the flannel graph, you remember the fleece? It was a cotton ball, right? And, uh, and it stuck it onto the... Ours never stuck, so the teacher... Uh, and then stuck it on there. And, and what he said is, I, uh, God, if you want me to do this, I want, the, I want you to take the fleece and make it wet in the ground around it dry. So God, being the gracious God that he is, he says, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So wakes up in the morning, sure enough, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry, but we all know cotton balls, they soak up water. 
right? Okay, like nobody uses cotton balls around here? What's going on? I mean, when I'm doing my make, I mean, when I'm taking off my fingernail, no. Um, so then he goes, I, okay, I'm going to try this. Um, when I wake up in the morning, let's have the ground wet and the cotton ball dry. So God's like, okay. So God be gracious. He does that and confirms again that he's going to be there for Gideon. So Gideon blows the trumpet in the area, sends out messengers, say, hey, we need people. 32,000 farmers show up. Way to go, Israel, right? 32,000, going to go up against 135,000, you know, but brave 32,000 people, right? So he's got his second confirmation, he's got his 32,000 farmers, and then God does this. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. 135,000 against 32,000. There are too many to, uh, for me to give Midian into your hands, for Israel will become boastful, saying, my power has delivered me. Now therefore come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever's, chicken, uh, whoever's afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. <laughs> 22,000 people returned. But there was still 10,000 there Remained. I mean, can you imagine these 10,000 farmers? Yeah, we'll take them on. I don't know if they've seen the number of people from Midian or not. Um, but that still wasn't enough. So then God says, here, take them down to the stream. And he says this, And the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who uh, kneels to drink. So take those two groups of people, separate them. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their, their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest, you do the math, all the rest of the people kneel to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands so that all, uh, let all the other people go, each man to his home. So Gideon takes those 300 guys and he separates them into groups of 100. So he has how many groups? Three, very good. A couple of you guys know math. Nice. Uh, so he takes these. I'm just testing you. Make sure you're awake. So you've got these three groups of 100, and they've kind of surrounded the Midianites up on the ridge. And uh, God's got a plan, and it's an awesome plan, one that probably everybody thought was nuts, that this certainly would not work. And here's, here's what happens in this plan that God laid out. Go ahead and go to the next one there. So when the three companies, so here's the plan. So when the three companies blew trumpets and broke the pitchers, so what happened was the other people leave, but they leave them all their stuff. And so every, every guy, so 300 guys, have a, a pitcher, a sword, and a trumpet. Ooh scary, you know. <laughs> so here's the plan. When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood, talking about the Midianites, each stood in his place around the camp. I'm sorry, talking about Israel. Each stood in their place around the camp and all the army, the Midianites, ran, crying out as they fled. When they blew 300 trumpets, what did the Lord do? The Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout 
the whole army. The only thing that Gideon and the guys had to do, actually it was very simple. They just had to smash some pitchers and blow some trumpets and yell. And then God took over. Now you can read the rest of the story into chapter 8 as to how Gideon and the guys went and cleaned things up. The sad thing is, is Israel went back into their sin cycle and they had 40 years of peace but then decided to start doing life their own way again and rejecting God's way. But for us, and as we look at this specific situation and how Gideon or how God through Gideon was able to accomplish what Gideon couldn't do on his own, I want to look at some and expand on some takeaways. And one of the things we do every week is we kind of do these takeaways. We like to have some things that we can grab hold of and walk out the doors with into our, into our world and make an impact for Christ. We're going to, we have them this morning, but we're going to expand on them a little bit as we close out. So don't, um, don't continue sleeping, wake up and catch on to this one. <laughs> so the first one is this. God is offering you victory in your battle. And it starts with a relationship. So you've got Gideon. And as far as we can tell, Gideon was probably following his dad. So Gideon wasn't worshiping God. But then God shows up and initiates a relationship, offers a relationship with Gideon through which he's going to impact Gideon and the rest of Israel and really the rest of the world and today gets to impact us. That's what God does all throughout Scripture. When you're reading in the Bible, look for that. We get caught up in religion. We get caught up on things. Do this, do that, you know, all these different religious things in order to maybe please God. But it's not about that at all. God shows up in people's lives. And he showed up in Gideon's life. He says, hey, listen, if you'll trust me, if you'll... Let us, let us have this relationship. I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to not only give you victory, but it's going to bless Israel. And it's going to bless people 3,000 years later, you and me. And so in the middle of your life, wherever you're at, some of you have, God, have had God show up already, and you've, you've placed your faith in Christ, and you have a relationship with God through that faith in Christ. But some of you here this morning, you may not have that. You may be sitting there going, yeah, I, I definitely don't have that. God is here this morning, not physically, but through his Holy Spirit. And he's, he's offering a relationship with you that through that relationship, then he's going to give you what you need to get through whatever it is you're going through. Which, and we'll learn why at the end today, but he's going to do that if you'll trust him. And enter into that relationship with him. Because again, he's the one who knows how to do life. And so around here we say it's as simple as the ABCs, right? So again, it's initiating the relationship. He's initiating. He's already done the work. Jesus already put, or God the Son put on flesh, lived on this earth, Jesus Christ, who already did the work. Already did everything necessary for us to have our sins forgiven. And so it's just a matter of, A, admitting that we've sinned. So all of us have done that in this room. Some of us have had our sins forgiven, not based on what we've done, but based on what Jesus has done. But you just need to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've, I've disobeyed God. I've been doing life my way, not God's way. 
and I get it, I'm separated from God. And then it's to, it's to believe. You put your full weight of trust on what God says, not on what you think. And what God says is this, and again, I'm kind of abbreviated here for you this morning because the Bible's you know, full of this message, but what he says is this, our sin has separated us from God, and if we die in our sin, then we, are, we, will, have, we will be disciplined for that, we will be judged for that, we, we are disobeying God's law. God is a good judge, and so good judges take care of those who violate the law. And sadly, the, the law is that those who die in their sins spend eternity in hell. They didn't want them on earth, they're not going to have them in eternity. And again, it makes logical sense. Sad story, but it's reality. And God loves us too much to force himself on us, to force us into a relationship. And so it's our decision whether we want to interact with God on that level or not. For those of us who do, and if you're here this morning you haven't done it, but you want to do that, then it's just believing that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died on the cross for your sin. He died your eternal death for you. And then when he rose from the dead, he defeated sin and death and gives you the power through his Holy Spirit, should you accept his gift of relationship, to then have him work in and through you in this life and then take you into the next life. And then you confess that. That's just talking to God. That's as we call prayer, but it's just having a conversation with God. So what I'd like to do this morning, if you're here this morning and and you're like, man, I, I don't have that relationship and, and I'd, I'd like to have that relationship. I'd like to just pray a prayer that you can pray. Sometimes it helps people to kind of have somebody lead them along. And so I'd, I'd be willing to do that. Again, the prayer isn't what saves you. It's your faith in Christ. But I'd like to do that for you this morning. And so just go ahead and uh, everybody just close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're here this morning, you're like, I need to have that relationship. Now, if you've prayed this prayer in the past, and then, then you're, you're saved. You have that relationship with God. But if, if you've never done this before, let me just go ahead and pray a prayer real quick. And pray something like this. Just say, Heavenly Father, your heart to God's heart. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. But I also know and I believe I'm putting my full weight of trust on what you've said. And you said that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, took my eternal judgment in my place. And I want you to know that I, I believe that and I'm trusting that. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I thank you for your forgiveness and for the relationship you've given me. In Christ's name, amen. Let's go ahead and keep your eyes closed. If, if you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer, um, I'd love for you to just slip your hand up and, and let me see that. And uh, I'd love to be able to talk to you even more about that relationship. If you've prayed that prayer. If not, we'll, we'll move on. But if you've prayed that prayer, slip your hand up real quick. And um, Okay. Now you can go ahead and open your eyes. Got a couple more takeaways here quickly that we can run through. So, for the rest of us then who have placed our faith in Christ, the second thing is, is that God's given you the battle plan. Whatever the issue is, whatever the fear is, whatever you're fighting with, whatever you're working through, whatever is knocking you down, whatever you're struggling, whatever it is that you can't control, you can't have victory over, God's giving you the battle plan. And you have God the Holy Spirit in your life if you're a Christian. You have God's word before you. 
and you have your church family. And it's in the Bible where we find that battle plan. And one of the great things about and reasons why we need to be a part of a church family is because we're all going through this together. None of us, if you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, yeah, some of these people think they got it all together, I'll guarantee you, if you think that, come up to me and I'll take you to every one of these people in this room and they'll tell you, no, I don't have it together. We don't all have it together. But when we come together as a church family, we help each other through, we encourage each other, we support each other. When we're here together as a church family, we, we have the Bible taught. We get together sometimes and we uh, learn how to study the Bible for ourselves. So during the week, Monday through Saturday, we're actually being, we're in the Word and, uh, for ourselves and with our families and we're learning what God has to say and telling us about the battle plan is. How are we going to respond to the things that are going on in our lives? We got a class called the Grow Class. It's coming up on the 21st. So a little shameless promotion. Uh, sign up for that. It, it's, it's called a grow class for a reason because it helps us understand what are some real practical ways we can read the Bible and understand the Bible. And then we just start doing those things. Again, they're very practical because I'm not very complex. Okay? Get too, too complex for me, I can't figure it out. So I keep it nice and simple because I'm nice and simple. So we work through that. We talk about prayer. We talk about fellowship. We talk about giving as well. But the, the thing specifically here for this morning is the fact that we have, we look at God's word. And then I'm always here. Anytime you have questions, shoot me a text, give me a phone call, email me, stop by the church. I don't do anything anyways. So I got plenty of time, you know. I, I'm, Dave's here now, so sometimes we play like Scrabble and stuff like that, you know, just trying to keep our minds fresh. Um, Battlefield, yeah, you know, so... Uh, no, don't go out and tell everybody your pastor doesn't do anything. All right. No, seriously, feel free to, um, to give me a call, text, email, whatever, and we can talk through some of that stuff. Third thing is this. You must obey the battle plan. You must obey the battle plan. You can know the battle plan. Gideon knew the battle plan, but then he had to carry it out for God to do the work, right? So you, know, you need to know. The first thing is reject how you've been doing life, right? What Gideon, what did he do? The part of the battle plan was, hey, reject your old way of doing life. He tore down a, an altar and an Asherah pole, the way they worshiped Baal back then. But what he was saying is, I'm no longer going to do life my way, this way. I'm going to start doing life God's way. And so in our lives, we've got to do the same thing. We got to say, no, I, I've been doing life. I've been responding to this situation my way. I can see it now. I understand that. I'm going to reject it. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from it. I'm going to say no, and I'm going to figure out how is it that I'm supposed to do it God's way. We have to reject the wrong way of doing life. It's, the biblical term is repentance. Others will not like your decision. This is huge, you guys. We, we've got we've to be okay with this. We cannot let other people's response to us wanting to do life God's way derail us every single time it happens. It's going to happen. It could be Christians. It, it'll be non-Christians. It could be people who say they're Christians. Anyone who's not doing it God's way, when we start doing life God's way, they're going to be, what are you doing? Why, why did you tear down the Baal altar? 
Why did you ruin that? What are you, what are you thinking? We're, gonna, we're all going to die now. You're talking about some God that wasn't even around for 200 years helping us. I'm telling you, you're going to have family, friends, neighbors. I hope nobody in our church is going to be looking at you going, what are you doing? Why are you responding that way to your wife? Why are you responding that way to your husband? Man, you, you, need, to, you need to lay the smack down. You need to tell them what's what. No, you, no, you, you love. You respond in love. Like Christ, you sacrifice. Sacrifice is painful. You know, I'm dealing with anxiety and depression and I'm just struggling. I can't seem to get my mind, you know, where, well, man, what did the people in the Bible do? Do you know that people in the Bible cried out all night long to receive the peace that God talks about? Have you done that? Again, you can know the Bible or know the, the plan, but are you operating in the plan? Are you reading the Bible? Are you memorizing the Bible? Are you allowing the Bible and just meditating? Are you turning the TV off, turning the computer off, putting away the hobby? Are you spending time with God and his word and are you letting it permeate through your mind and your heart? Are you thinking about it and talking about it and using it against all the wrong ways you could think? Jesus was tempted by Satan and used scripture in defense. Why aren't we? So we, we got to... Yeah, others are not going to like your decisions. Do what you know to do and leave the victory to God. So I've kind of jumped into that one already. Do what you need to do. Do what God's told you to do. It may not make any sense. But if the Bible says to do it, do it. And leave the victory to God. Don't try to make the victory happen. Don't try to get there before God wants you to get there because he, he wants to teach you a few things. But keep doing the plan. Keep doing the plan. Keep doing, and let God take care of the victory. And lastly, the reason for that is because it's not about your glory. It's not about you. It's not about how you can defeat whatever it is because you can't. I can't. It's about God's glory. Why do you think God brought it down to 300 people? What did he tell us? Because if he didn't, Israel would be like, yeah, that was us. We did that. The band comes up and closes us this morning. It's about God's glory. It's about God doing great things through us. So when people see us doing things that don't make any sense, and we start operating the way God wants us to operate, when they come to us and say, like, wow, when you went through that situation, that was so weird how that all worked out. How did that happen? I got nothing other than I just started doing life God's way. I know it sounds crazy, but I started reading the Bible and I was talking with my pastor and got together with some of my friends and we just started doing life God's way and God started doing some really cool things. And I'd be like, wow, I'd like to, hopefully they'd say, I'd like to know more about that God. And we can share with them a relationship with Jesus Christ and what that looks like. We've got a great opportunity for God to do great things through us if we just trust God by doing the plan that he's given us but we have to know the plan for that to happen and have that relationship established for that to happen Dave